Hello again, everybody. It's time for the Mainland Podcast. This is episode 51, and uh, I am Michael Citro from themainland.com. We are SB Nation's site that covers Orlando City Soccer Club. We also cover Orlando Pride and Orlando City B. And uh, I am the founder and managing editor of said Mainland. And joining me, one of our uh, esteemed writers, Andrew Harrison, is with us again this week. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Michael. I'm uh, ready to dive into all things Orlando. You know, we got a lot to talk about because it's a double game week. You know, since the last time we've talked, uh, Orlando City's played two games. The Pride played on Friday. Orlando City B with the it's probably its best uh, outing of the season so far on Sunday. Much to get to, including you know news that just broke today. So, where do you want to get started? What what do you want to talk about first? Let's dive into the good news, which was I think Orlando City Montreal. It was okay. something we hadn't seen in a while, so you know, let's start with something positive. Okay, six-game uh, winless streak snapped on Saturday night at Camping World Stadium. Uh, two goals for Kyle Laren. Good to see him get back on the score sheet. And, um, you know, it was one of those games that looked like it was going to be another draw, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> what, was your, what was your overall take uh, on the game itself? You know, I... It's so hard to know because, once again, it was one of those ones where you just thought you were going to... I've kind of resigned myself to the performances that we were having. And then all of a sudden, it just looked like we came out of nowhere and realized that we were a good team. We had some talent. And we were able to string some pieces together and really get going. But once again, those first 45 minutes, just they, were te- they weren't great. And giving an early goal away to Piatti um, wasn't our finest moment. Um, but I think realistically, the biggest changes were enforced on us with the loss of Ramos and the loss of Heinz. That mm-hmm. changed who we were, and I think we saw that in the second half. But I don't want injuries to change the way this team is playing. I want that to come from the players, and I want that to come from the coaching staff. So it was overall a good performance if you look at the fact that we got a win, but it still doesn't give me a lot of hope for the future going into, every, you know, Every game counts, getting further, staying close to that red line. Absolutely, and you know, getting three points against a team ahead of you in the standings is always uh, an important thing, especially when you're at home. You, you need to win your home games because it's so hard to win on the road. And you know, Orlando City, I think, didn't start on the best foot. And I think that uh, I did the grades for that game, and I, I did not score. I think I gave my lowest score that I've ever given to Rafael Ramos, even though he wasn't on the pitch. But just a half an hour, uh, he was just not. He was just not there. He was not a presence. He did not even slow down anyone that came his way. Ignacio Piatti is a very good player, and he's having an, an MLS MVP type season. But you've got to at least slow the guy down. Mm-hmm. You can't just be a pylon back there. <laughs> Uh, you can't get mesmerized and ball watch and player watch and whatever else uh, Rafael was watching there. And also he got uh, turned inside out by Dominic Oduro, who, who made a, a you know good cross into the box that luckily got deflected before it reached its target. So, you know, it was a tough outing for him. I think I gave him a two. It was, I mean, he was just not good at all. I mean, it was, it was one of those cases where you almost would have been better playing with 10 men than, than having him out on the pitch. And when he got hurt and Kevin Alston came on, Alston wasn't perfect by any means. He was, you know, he was a little off in his passing, a little off in his touches, but it's only his second game playing with this team and at least, you know, not played on the the now Camping World Stadium turf very much. 
So uh, it's it's understandable that he wasn't going to be his sharpest, but I thought that he did a really nice job of slowing down Montreal's attack uh, up the left side. They were not able to get those types of chances. He did get nutmegged once, but he took the tactical foul and, and the yellow card that went with it. Um, and, and, you know, what we've seen from Rafael Ramos in the past, we're not sure what would have happened had he done the same thing to, to Ramos. I mean, he could have taken a, a rash challenge and got sent off or, or any number of things. So, um, you know, good maturity there from Alston. He's a veteran player, and he, he knew what to do in that situation. Just give him a little tug back and, and take the yellow card and, uh, you know, tip your cap to Piotti, who's a very, very good player. But uh, it was nice to see the team respond from that early goal and, and come back and, and give the – the home fans something to cheer about yeah and I, I think you you bring up an interesting point for which i'm sure we'll get into when we kind of recap the philadelphia game is you know we need to have that level of maturity to play against those players we can't go making those rash challenges um, mm-hmm. because we're getting known as a team that you know what we could go down to 10 men in any single game and that's not great that's something that they watch footage on um, and, you know, also, it, sometimes it makes you wonder if we watch footage before games. I know we get a lot of time on the training field, but I wonder if we actually sit down and watch game footage. We should know how these people are going to play. We know that everything's going to go through Piatti. So when you start to take him out, you have to have your best guys there. And as you said, Ramos was, he was just giving him free reign. So when he came out, I think that's what changed us. That's what made us better. That's what was able to get those three points. Um, but the fact is we can't sustain that, and that's worrying. We can't take those lessons that we seem to learn and move them into the next one like other good teams or playoff contenders teams can do. Mm-hmm. And, and still there's, there's some some level of inexperience on this team in terms of MLS experience. There's still guys that are, are, you know, less than 30 games in in this league. And, and it's easy to want them to do well earlier, but I mean, the, the history doesn't bear that out. It's, it's easy to say, you know, they've been with the team long enough. They should be, you know, completely cohesive, but uh, that's, that's not necessarily a reality. I thought Adrian Heath had some interesting uh, statements this past week about that saying that, you know, a lot of people are, are, you know, they want the playoffs and you want to build this special, you know, dynastic team. And the reality is that teams don't come into MLS and do it in their first or second year. It just doesn't happen. And, and it's unrealistic to think that it will happen. Now, when your team motto is defy expectations, you know, maybe <laughs> it needs to be done a little quicker. But um, still, I think he has a point. I think I think two years in to this league it's still they're still adding pieces taking out pieces that don't work trying to add new pieces that do work and i think they're still building towards something and 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 maybe do you, do you i don't know what do you think do you think that the fans we as fans tend to be a little impatient uh, you know because the season is uh, you know you know it goes by pretty quick and then the off season seems long and we want to have results now so do you think we're a little bit impatient i think we are certainly impatient i mean twitter and facebook and the world of social media fans always are going to seem impatient but this is what the club set us up for they went out with the defy expectations hashtag they went and said you know what if we don't make the playoffs it's nothing but a failure for us and the problem is you look at the off season you talk about that long period of 
really not much happening, and we didn't see any changes. Really, Joe Bendick was the only guy that came out of the offseason that really you could say moved this team forward. And as a fan who has been built up to want these things and want that immediate success and not see it happening, it it's hard and it, it also means that I'm not necessarily going to sit back and wait for those changes. We were also an incredibly successful franchise until we got to MLS and mm-hmm. reality is now starting to set in and that, that's a bitter pill to swallow for some fans. It is and I think that a lot of people don't realize that the – the, the way that the league is set up, the way the MLS is set up is a lot different than the way that the USL is set up in terms of how much you can buy your way to success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a, certainly a limit to, to how much you can buy your way to success in MLS unless you're the LA Galaxy. Um, but uh, in the USL, I think the, the team just went out and got flat out got better players than other teams did. Mm-hmm. And I think that, it, that that bore out in the results because, I mean, what in four years, would they lose like four or five home games total? Yeah. Uh, and that's just not something you see from teams, uh, certainly at the MLS level. I mean, it's really hard to go through a season and only lose, you know, none or one or two home games. It's the the competition is just too too even. But um, well, and, and parity doesn't allow that to happen when, mm-hmm. with the draft. And I think Philadelphia is a prime example of that. The talent that they were able to get, Keegan Rosenberry and Josh Yarrow, be starters in rookie seasons and almost turn around that defense. Mm-hmm. That's what parity brings you. And you can say that with the Rapids on the other side. They were conservative with their money. It allowed them to go out and get Jermaine Jones. They were able to get some good, solid draft picks and build build over a couple of years. The problem is we've gone out and spent a lot of money on big names for that instant success, and it's just not worked out. So we either need to go with the Philadelphia, we're going to suck for a couple of years, we're going to pick up some draft picks, pick up some talent, and do that way, or ultimately we're either going to turn into Houston and Chicago and be those teams that never get anywhere. The good news is we're in the Eastern Conference, Andrew. (laughs) So, you know, if you could, like, we saw New York City FC just a few weeks ago put three wins in a row together and take, you know, go to the top of the table. Mm -hmm. Um, that's certainly something that Orlando City could do if they would put two or three wins together. Uh, the problem is we're just drawing right now. Draw, 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 draw. Uh, but drawing is better than losing. And I think, I, I firmly believe that these results this year are an improvement over last year. If you look at the home, uh, you know, point total after, you know, this many home games last year, it's, it's ahead of where it was. Mm-hmm. Is it where we want it to be? No, because we'd rather win games than draw games, especially if we have a lead. Um, but uh, the fact that they're not blowing these games and losing them is, is a step toward maturity, and I think that's a good thing. I think what we're seeing also in year two is we're not seeing much of an improvement, if any, in the amount of injuries and suspensions because it, you look around the league and you, you know I think Philadelphia is a team that – you look at them and you go, well, you know, they were not that good last year. But you look at them this year, there's been a lot of consistency in their lineup, and that's partly why they've been able to be successful, I think. Yeah, and I think that that's that's the maturity that we talk about. But you have to have a leader to get that maturity when you, especially when you're dealing with such young kids. I mean, we have such a young squad, um, 
and such a Euro, I would like to class it as a European squad. You know, we've got Ramos, we've got Hagida, we've got those people that are a little bit tempestuous, and we have to be able to rein them in. And it, it concerns me that we are not reining those people in at a front office coaching level. You know, we will once again get to it for the Philadelphia game. The number mm-hmm. of cards and the number of reckless challenges in that game scare me. Having watched soccer for a really long time, those are things that you should have been, you know, those are bred out of you in college if you want to be a professional player. You don't make swipes at people. You don't kick out. You learn to take the the, the talking in your ear. You just don't react. And we're mm-hmm. not teaching people not to react. Um, and it's costing us not just cards. It's costing us silly free kicks. Um the Philadelphia game earlier in the season was a prime example of that. You you don't want to mm-hmm. give away a foul if you can help it, and we're just giving them away for no reason. Yeah, I, in fact, I we don't even have to wait for the Philadelphia game. I talked to Adrian Heath after the Montreal game, after his uh, his post game press conference. I I walked over and caught him before he went back in the locker room, and I asked him. I said, you know, Adrian, you said that you were going to start, you know, disciplining guys for for taking unnecessary yell- bookings and 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 getting sent off and things like that. And, and you know, we saw with Breck Shea taking an unnecessary yellow, retaliating when the foul was given. I mean, and here is a veteran player who, who grew up in this country mm-hmm. uh, who knows that, you know, part of people's game is to get under your skin. And he took the foul, and the foul was given. I, I understand when you go after a player because you feel like you have to take matters in your own hand because the referee isn't making a call. Yep. But when the referee makes the call, it gives you your free kick, just stand up and take the free kick, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so Adrian's um, his response to me was, you know, he he's he looks at each of these cases individually. He 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 wants to make sure that he does the right thing and that he doesn't. Um, he, he do, what he never wants to do is change a player, you know, for the worse. And it, you know, there's certain players that he thinks, you know, what if I what do I do with a Ramos or a Higita if 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 reining them in doesn't keep them at the same level of a player you know if they if they're not able to keep that aggression up some some players you change the way they play when you do that and so everybody's on a different sort of i guess you know schedule in terms of you know what he'll do if if they get booked and of course every booking is different i mean we've seen bookings that are kind of that wasn't a that wasn't yellow card worthy or whatever and then we see what what for example, what Chris Nikita did in the Philadelphia game, where he's running by Latou, and Latou's not even doing anything, he doesn't have the ball, and he throws his arm out at the guy. Yeah, I, I, but that I think that brings up an interesting point, though, right? We, we hear Heath say one thing, that he's going to rein in people for getting silly yellow cards. And then he doesn't. And so then he comes up with a different explanation for the reason that he didn't do it. <laughs> You're either in it or you're not in, right. in that. Although, to be fair, we don't know if he's finding players behind the scenes. We, that's we all. don't, and that, that's another whole discussion about MLS transparency that <laughs> you know, we just, we'd be here all day. Uh, <laughs> but we, we, we as fans need to see that. You know, we saw it in the SKC game. That was a complete performance where we were completely blown out. He said he would make changes. He made changes. We got the win. Mm-hmm. 
but when you when we go back to those ways which we feel like we should have stamped out we know that suspensions cost us last season we know that injuries cost us last season you can't plan for injuries but you can certainly plan for people's attitudes and fouling and knowing once again if you watch tape who are your agitators going to be who are those people that they're going to look and go after and you know i didn't think shea was going to be that kind of player but he really is that one of those players that just seems to be one red missed moment away from being sent off and there yeah. are great players out there that, you know, you think that they're those players and then they, you just, the stats never back it up. You would you would find it hard-pressed to believe that I think Brekshay's got two red cards now in two mm-hmm. seasons with us. Yeah. Never mind other players as well. I, that's, that is... Although one was given off the pitch, right? <laughs> yes, but it's it still, it doesn't that make it worse a little True. bit sometimes? Uh, kind of, but, you know, I'm, I'm of the opinion, though, that if a, if a, at the, the the particular referee that gave him the yellow card at, in the moment this year is your MLS ref of the year from the previous year, and he had a great view of it, and he deemed in his judgment it's a yellow card. Then what? You're really undermining your referee there by by giving the red card. I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm just saying that in that situation, he, if Kelly gives him the red card, you go with the red. Or if he gives him the if if he had given the red or the yellow, I'd have been fine with it. But he chose to give the the yellow, and I think that. I think that in that situation, Disco was wrong to upgrade that to a red. But, uh, you know, that's just my opinion. That's one guy. And um, I think, honestly, most of Breck Shea's bookings come from being clumsy and late, not from being malevolent. Yeah. But, um, you know, every now and then he does get his ire up. Well, and, and I think the, isn't that the difference also about learning to defend, though, too? Um, you, you, you have to know what's going to happen before you do it and mm-hmm. i think some that's i i think his position is his career position moving forward is potentially at left back but he still has a lot to learn about defending you can't make those rash challenges otherwise you end up like aurelian colin and you're just <laughs> one tackle away from missing the next 80 minutes of the game because you, you you screwed up at the start you have to learn when to take that risk. And, and I don't think Shea really gets that right now in terms of defending. No, and, and it's kind of not really fair for us to expect him to after playing about 20 games of left no. back in his life. No. So um, so he's a, he's a work in progress. One thing about the Montreal game, getting back to that, I thought that I thought it was nice to see. We had Kyle Aaron had like one goal in a six-game span, and he, he broke out of his slump. Got a couple in the net. Could have had even a couple more. Um, I thought Kaká played well, and I thought Joe Bendik played very well. And, in fact, I give my man of the match to Joe Bendik. So uh, who was your man of the match from the uh, 2-1 win? He was my man of the match, too. Um, I, he just kept us in it. He, he once again showed why, going back to just earlier, he's the one improvement that we made in this offseason. Um, mm-hmm. We obviously didn't seemingly improve our defense. We're still conceding, I think, about the same number of goals. Um, he was the one improvement. He's kept us in games, and he kept us in that game too. So he's one of my men of the match too. Yeah, I think we're, we're a little bit closer to the middle of the pack this year than last year, but still not where we want to be and certainly not where Adrian Heath wants us to be. Um, I was asked uh, you know, by by the both Philadelphia and the New York City uh, bloggers have asked me, you know, what's the deal with – with the defense, you know, you know, what's the improvement been and, and what's going on there? And I said, well, 
you know, this team still has those moments where somebody falls asleep and it's in the net. And that's been the difference between, you know, winning and drawing and drawing and losing is that you have those moments where guys switch off. We haven't we haven't got a consistent uh, or we haven't had any really 90 minute pure um, concentration game from our entire back four. I don't think since the really maybe since the Portland game and even that wasn't probably a 90 minute concentration. So. Um, you know, the, the team needs to just be focused and they're, they're not always focused and, you know, usually can get away with a moment here or there, but our guys, when they, when they switch off, it's, it's really not good. And we saw that against Philadelphia. So why don't we talk a little bit about the Philadelphia game? Of course, Orlando city and Philadelphia in the first half was a turnover festival (laughs) and neither team was passing. Well, I mean, a guy would get the ball in midfield and give it directly to the other team. I just, I don't. I don't know what they're looking at, but it, it was almost like everybody out there was thinking they were in the other color jersey for a while. Um, it did look that you, way. <laughs> you know, you'd see Higita make a great tackle, take two steps with the ball, and then Kaká's over there. So I'm going to pass it that direction. But oh, there's there's three Philadelphia Union players between me and him. But I'm going to try it anyway, and it didn't work. And if and Philadelphia was doing a lot of the same thing, I thought that um, other than Barnetta, I thought uh, Latou and and um, um, Pontius, I think, also were passing the ball to the wrong team a few times here and there. And I was sitting next to uh, one of the guys, the communication guys from the from the union at the game, and um, he was exasperated. Yeah. Uh, there was a there was a lot of you know after a pass mm-hmm. you know, that, that would go awry. But the the, the first half was, it was like sixty some odd percent possession for Orlando City, uh, which was something we saw I, I think more against Philadelphia as well. We saw. Finally, the team is possessing the ball and trying to build the attack and and keeping, you know, on the front foot rather than playing on the back foot, which is something that they had been doing. So that was a good improvement. And I think part of that's just having, um, you know, Kaká healthy. And part of it is, uh, you know, a little bit of shake up in the, the team. Uh, no Torino went to the bench for these two games. I think a lot of people will point to that as the reason. Yep. Um, but also Kevin Molino went to the bench for these two games. Um and, and Adrian Vinter played right wing, and uh, Carlos Rivas played left wing. And I thought that in the Montreal game, a lot of that worked, and I thought that in the Philadelphia game, a lot of that did not work. And I was kind of a little bit surprised, thinking that we we might, because of the midweek game, see him start Molino in the second of the three games in nine days. But he didn't. He went back with his exact uh, lineup. I asked him after the game, you know, what were your thoughts there? He's just, just trying to get some continuity because... You know, you see teams that have the same lineup week in, week out. He said three weeks ago we knew exactly who was going to start for Philadelphia, and that's who started, and that's why they're leading the Eastern Conference because they have that consistency, and we just can't keep a consistent lineup going. And that, again, will not happen at New York City because of bookings and and the the guys that are out on injury. But, um, you know, a lot of possession, but not a lot of chances for either team in the first half. Kaká had all three shots in the first half for Orlando City. Two of them were on net, but kind of weak shots. Uh, of course, he had the penalty, which wasn't very well taken. Um, but guys just looked a little slow and leggy and sluggish, and uh, it seemed like after halftime, both teams sort of came out with a little bit more fire. Philadelphia got on the front foot in the first 10 minutes or so of the second half, and then it was Orlando City again. And uh, But by that time, you know, Philadelphia already had a one-goal lead on a set piece, which was... Uh, a ridiculous turnover by Carlos Rivas. Um, he just basically looked like he dribbled it right to the defender and then gave it to him and fell down and pulled him down, took a yellow card. <laughs> uh, 
And of course, on the ensuing long free kick, uh, they they get free. Pontius gets free of his uh, marker. He he gets up over top of uh, Tommy Redding, heads it back across the box, and uh, Tranquilo Barnetta uh, punishes Orlando City on a on a set piece again by volleying into the net. He had uh, he had completely lost David Mateos, who um, well, let's say didn't have a very good second half. <laughs> Uh, I thought Mateos was good in the first half, but he was a nightmare in the second half, and that was just one moment of many that, that was a problem. Um, then, uh, you know, Orlando City came alive after some substitutions, and, uh, you know, as much as people complain about Adrian Heath not making substitutions, I did not see a lot of people, you know, saying good job because uh, he, he came in early in the 67th minute Molino and Batista came on and changed the game completely. Molino was the best player on the pitch for me. He was my man of the match and um, scored one goal. And, uh, you know, Larens gets the other. And Molino had a chance to, to get a winner on a really nice build-up play by Kaká and, and Shea and uh, just leaned back a little and got over the net. And So it's a 2-2 draw because, once again, you know, we fell asleep on a set piece. A little corner that probably didn't need to be given up. Um, Shea was a little bit lackadaisical in getting to the ball, but I can't blame him too much because midweek game after playing 90 over the weekend, you know, he probably just didn't have the legs and, you know, just, just made a fatigue mistake. Mm -hmm. So the corner is given. Uh, they take a short corner, whip it in. Bendit goes down and, and palms it and unfortunately palms it right to uh, Ken Trebet and and he, uh, he one-times it slots at home. Uh, the defense kind of asleep on that as well. But um, as well as Bendik played, that was a mistake by him. But honestly, may not have been able to do much else with it. Yeah, I, I think you've kind of hit it all on the nail on the head on most of it. We just, we looked like we were playing in the opposing strips half the time. There was mm -hmm. no good passing. Um, it was... I mean, you, if you just take the second half against Montreal, where we just looked so dominant with those people on the field, and then we reset. Really, I mean, we're, we're talking what? We're talking like 96 hours later, and we looked like we hadn't played together before, <laughs> and that just is really scary from from any point of view that we can just be so bad so quickly. Um, but then you get the second half where you see those changes take place and and actually just going back to Heath being like talking about continuity and, and wanting to get that continuity. You only want continuity if it works. Mm -hmm. If you play bad, something has to change. You can't just keep playing the same people and expecting a different result. That's mm -hmm. that's. How, that's what ends up in the crazy house. You you have to make <laughs> changes to get different results. And right. I think Breck was tired from playing those 90 minutes. I'll definitely say it was not his best game at left back. Um, no, it wasn't. He he has done better, though, with not having no Sereno in front of him, as have Hakita and Carrasco. Mm -hmm. um, partnership that, once again, will not get to develop due to Hakita's booking. Um this team is never going to have continuity until it decides to rein in its discipline and, and 
be a better cohesive team. We talked about it last week. There was team defending this week. We saw it in the Montreal game. We saw it in the Philadelphia game. But there was no... It was no team defending and trying to fix the problems that the people in front of them had made. They just did those silly fouls and they lost their head. And we paid for it. We ultimately paid the price for it. Yeah, Mateo's had another... uh... A foul in the box that could have and maybe should have been a penalty on Creval. Um And then he eventually got red card and sent off on a play that actually he was actually going for the ball and, and the player ran into him. So um, it was one of those cases where, OK, he got away with one and then they they nailed him for something they shouldn't have nailed him. So I guess it all it all evened out. The, the interesting thing is Ricardo Salazar was supposed to referee that game. Uh, he was assigned to that game, but something must have happened to him because Fourth official Soren Stoika ended up being the, the referee, and Ted Uncle was brought in to be the fourth official. So, um, uh, but I, you can't really fault the officiating too much. I know some people do, but uh, uh, first of all, before I get into that, let me get your man of the match for the Philadelphia draw. I think I was going to go with Kaká. His stats kind of put him in that place, but really Molino was the one that came in and changed the game. He, mm-hmm. I think, if we hadn't had that burst of energy that Baptista Molino came brought on we would never have we wouldn't have we just wouldn't have got even a point from this game so I'm gonna go with Molino he is he's either a 70 minute guy or he's your super sub and I think he he won it for the super sub performance yeah Molino on five goals now with his uh, goal and nearly on a sixth there but um, he did change the game and he was my man of the match and more importantly to me, Andrew, was the way he responded to his benching mm-hmm. coming on and, and playing a strong 35 minutes or so. Yeah, I, and that's what you want to see. We talk about players responding, and he went and did that. He he was scoring, and he still got benched. But then he comes back, he's stronger. He looked, he just looked like a different Kevin Molino. He looked like that one from the USL days, where he, even though he was playing 90 minutes, um, he still always looked fresh. Um, he looked like he had the ability to, to be a game changer. And I think that's why he made the step up with this team is he does mm-hmm. have the ability to be a game changer, but it's not always going to be there for him. And sometimes you have to reset him. He's a very quiet guy. I think he sometimes overthinks some things, especially his performances. Mm-hmm. Um, so giving him that time to kind of clear out and do something different made, made a big difference for him. Yeah. Heath said something interesting after the game, he was talking about, he risked putting Kakao to the left. Uh, That's not a risk. He, he felt he he seemed to feel like it was a defensive, like it was like it could hurt them defensively putting Kakao to the left. And I I don't agree with that. I don't agree that that's a defensive liability. I don't think he's any better on the left side defensively than in the middle. I don't think that putting Molino in the middle or Batista makes you any worse defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, Kakao's not exactly known for his defense. No. So uh, I don't think it's. And I do think it helps you offensively, and obviously it did, because I think Kaká is way more comfortable on the left side, and he is able to bring Breck Shea into the game when he's over there. And that's something that, against Montreal, Carlos Rivas was able to do, is get, get Shea involved, and Shea and Rivas were, were more of a threat on the left side. At least the threat of their speed made Montreal stay home a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they didn't have that same partnership against Philadelphia because Carlos Rivas was a mess that night. Um Every touch was bad. No passes were good. He he, he, he really kind of made one really 
decent cross into the box, and that was that was it. But um, you know, he had he had chances to to even score. I mean, uh, Laren had a give and go with him where he didn't go, and if he had <laughs> gone, he would have been all alone in the in the, you know in the eighteen. But um, you know, he's he's not reading the game. Kaká yelled at him at one point. I mean, uh, it was it was a mess. But I I think the team is at their best offensively when Kaká is out wide to the left. Either Molino or Batista is in the middle, and the other is out to the right. I, I thought they played very well offensively after the the substitution. So, uh, Kevin Molino, good job. You're man of the match for for the Philadelphia draw. It's unfortunate that it was a draw because felt like they could have got a win out of that game. But here's the thing too: is that the officiating. This is what I wanted to get to earlier. In these last two games, okay, maybe Kyle Lahren was offside on the winning goal against Montreal, and maybe. A little bit of a break in terms of not getting a, giving up a penalty uh, on the Mateos foul, and um, you know per, per, perhaps Laren's last goal, uh, you know the second goal on Wednesday, perhaps came off the arm. So, um, is this a case where we're finally seeing things even out, and you know they they still owe us about three or four more of these, or or uh, you know do you think that um, it's just the way that MLS officiating is? I, I think it's just the way refereeing is. These people are human. They are fallible. It is real time, and you you can't get everything right. And mm-hmm. you, I, I hate to go to this old adage, but you win some, you lose some. We we get calls in our favor. We get a lot of calls in our favor that people really don't necessarily highlight. All we talk is about is the bad stuff. But mm-hmm. we do get a lot of calls in our favor, too. And I think that is just officiating the, you know, every referee referees differently. He's going to be in a, He's going to aim for a different spot on, a, on an attack. He's going to sit back and be in the midfield when, you know, there's not necessarily a long ball coming. Everybody does it a little bit differently. I actually thought that. We've had some good officiating crews the past two couple of games. Um, we have been the one that's let ourselves down. We can't look for the referee to give us points. We have mm-hmm. to go out and get those points. And we did it in, on against Montreal. And I think we kind of went looking for the points against Philadelphia. And, you know, if a car takes a better free kick... You know, we get a goal in the first half, and we probably look like a little bit of a different team. But he also Mm -hmm. went looking for that penalty. You see him slow right down because he knows Blake's going to run right through him. Mm -hmm. He's going to get the call. He's probably going to miss his shot. So it's karma. I'm going to go with that being my answer. (laughs) Refereeing is karma, and so are some decisions. If you see a, a PK like that where you look soft, invariably the player either misses it or it's saved. Um, yeah, they didn't get a PK, but then they got a man sent off. It, it's it's peaks, peaks and troughs. Yeah, and absolutely. Um, some people said you know they thought denial of goal scoring chance, last man back. Absolutely a wrong decision if they would have given Blake a red card there because Kaká was moving away from goal and was not controlling the ball at the time. So uh, actually, a very very good call to just give the penalty, just give the foul. It's not always a card. It's not always a sending off. And I thought it was a I thought it was a good piece of officiating not to send Blake off there, and that would have really hurt Philadelphia at that point. So, um, so good job. But uh, yeah, you're right. There was I think some points dropped in that game. Um, certainly going to New York City on Sunday, even more shorthanded than before, um, against a team that's had a week to rest and has had a week to simmer and 
and absolutely fume about losing 7-0 last weekend. Um, that could be a very, very ugly game on Sunday at Yankee Stadium. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a bit. Before we get to our guest, there's two more quick things, pieces of business, actually three that we need to talk about. One real quick that just broke tonight. Brazil has called up Kaká for the Copa America Centenario. Um, real happy for the captain. Uh, certainly something that will be uh, you know, a big feather in his cap, something that will make him feel great and, and energize him and, and be a big honor for him. And I think that he'll be humbled by this and and – you know, you just have to be happy for the guy, Andrew. I'm happy for him. I I think that this is something I would almost say this is kind of his swan song internationally. Um, yes. This is a huge tournament. It's in the United States for a reason. It's about growing the sock. It's about growing the game here. Um, mm-hmm. I would say that potentially I'm not expecting him to get a lot of minutes. Um, I feel like it was almost a token pickup just because Brazil have lost – you know, Neymar's not going to be here. Um, the mm-hmm. tournament has lost some of its bigger names. Suarez is probably unlikely for the first couple of group games. Uh, you know, they need a big guy to bring in some seats. And, and I think they get that with them. I'm not trying to take it away from them. I just right. potentially put it down to some marketing, too, especially since Brazil plays here in Orlando. Sure. And we've and we've seen this before, though, that they've called him up and not used him or only used him as, sparingly as a sub against uh, subpar competition. Keep in mind... Brazil plays in Camping World Stadium on the 8th of June, and they're playing Haiti, so they should be able to handle them pretty easily, and we may get to see the captain take the field for his country mm-hmm. uh, at the home of his club. So that's actually a pretty, a pretty cool, pretty special thing. That's something not a lot of people get to do. Should be noted, he's taking the place of Douglas Costa, who has a thigh injury. So that's a big loss for Brazil right there in the tournament. Oh, yeah. I, it, they went with a young side. They want... They need to get this ready. You're going to see some crossover for the Olympics. You know, they're allowed some old. You're allowed older age players. I think three for the Olympics. Yes. You're, you're going to see some crossover. They need to win this after getting destroyed in the semifinals <laughs> of the World Cup. They are looking for this to be their, their year. They want to win the Olympics, and I think they really want to win this tournament. Yeah, I think they want to have a good showing, and I don't think it's going to bode well for Dunga if they don't have a good. Uh, a good Copa because um, they don't have a lot of patience mm-hmm. in Brazil for, for lack of results. They expect results and they expect to go very deep in every tournament they're in. And, and with their history, you know, why wouldn't they expect that? They're, they've been uh, one of the world powers in soccer for quite some time. And, you know, I think there's still a bad taste in their mouths over that uh, World Cup semifinal. But, um, uh, you know, who knows? We'll see what happens. I mean, I think that they got a pretty good group. I think they should be able to get out of the group and, and make some noise. But there's some really good teams in, in Copa, mm-hmm. and it's going to be difficult. So I'm looking forward to it. We're actually credentialed for the three matches in Orlando. I'll be attending all three. I think we'll have a photographer at two of the three games. Uh, so we'll be able to have some photo galleries for you. And um, you can check the mainland for, for coverage of Copa America at Camping World Stadium. I really hate saying that, but, you know, that's what it's called now. So we're, We only have, like, five months left. Then we can... Yeah, then we're in our new... Then it'll new, be Publix Park or Disney Dome or something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what that is. So, uh, congratulations to Kaka. We just want you to come back. Oh, healthy. it's going to be Disney's Den. Disney's Den. Uh, the Lion Kingdom. Yeah, oh, there we go. Just bad mm-hmm. puns all over. Well, I don't know if that's a pun so much as it's a 
you know, well, maybe it is a pun. Um, but it certainly ties into their, their movie. Uh, second thing I wanted to get to, Orlando Pride goes out and wins on the road for the first time. 1-0 went over the dash. Uh, heck of a wonder goal by Chris Nedmans. Mm-hmm. Um, what'd you make of, uh, of the first road victory in Pride history? I think what that victory shows this team is growing. It is growing well. It had the ability. It, it held off a hard New York flash side. It went away on a first of a four-game road stint, and it looked really good. They held their own against a strong Houston side that is still without Carly Lloyd, but they were looking for the points in front of their crowd, and we managed to steal it. And that's good. If you can steal points away from home, that's all you need to do to be really good and make the playoffs within this league. Um, but they, they're growing. I think it'll be interesting to see the team without the internationals, but I am liking that they were getting some minutes for those players um, that will certainly get time during this summer. Um, Presley was getting some minutes because we're going to lose both set. Virtually the whole back line is going to be missing <laughs> yeah, this summer. Yeah, it will be the whole back. So yeah. it, it'll be interesting. Get points now because we may struggle over the summer. So it was good to see, and I think it'll spur them on for the next three away games. Yeah, I didn't actually get to see it live. I had to go back and watch a replay because I was I was watching some of your countrymen Friday night. I was uh, at the Def Leppard concert at uh, Amway Center. Uh, I believe they're from Sheffield? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so FC Kansas City is this week on the road. No Ashlyn Harris, no... Uh, Alex Morgan, obviously, they're with the U.S. Women's National Team uh, getting set for friendlies against Japan. Um, Laura Alloway, who has a groin injury and missed the, the Houston game and, and had to be replaced before the match, uh, has I, I believe has already returned to Australia for some treatment, get to see their doctors and, and uh, be with their national team for their games. Um, Steph Catley has not left yet for the Australian National Team's friendlies. They She is going to play in the game on... Uh, the weekend and then fly out. Uh, so that's good news. Uh, but now we're also hearing Kristen Edmonds uh, with a strained hip flexor may not be able to play either. So uh, FC Kansas City without a win is in a really good position to be playing the pride at this point in time uh, with so many uh, starters out. Yeah, of course. I mean, anybody, anytime you can play a team that's on a run like Orlando is really kind of having right now and you're the bottom of the team and you're, you're kind of scarred a little bit um, from not having a win yet this season. They're going to come out. They're going to come out fighting. I don't think they're losing as many players for international break. Um, Mm -hmm. They're going to still have a lot of their talent available. um, And they're a wounded animal right now. So I expect them to come out strong. They're at home. Um, It's a good Saturday night game. I expect a good crowd for for Kansas City too. So it'll be an interesting tie. So go Pride. I mean, uh, we're going to get to see a little bit of preview of what it's going to be like without uh, the internationals. Uh, we'll still have some of them, but not all of them. And uh, I believe also Jose Belanger is going to play and then fly out to, to Canada's uh, friendlies against Brazil. And also Monaco will be uh, departing as well to go play in those same games. So uh, they're going to go from teammates to enemies pretty quickly um, after the weekend. Uh, the last thing, a little bit of business before we get to our guest, and a great guest it is. Uh, we are going to talk a little bit about Orlando City B, just a little briefly because we're already running really long. <laughs> but um, Orlando City B, Andrew, I thought put together 
not only their best performance of the season, but a really solid-looking USL performance in a what turned out to be a 2-1 win over Rochester Rhinos, but was really more dominant than the scoreline shows because there were a lot of opportunities to score that, that went wanting, and the late penalty uh, obviously kind of ruined the shutout. But uh, what were your thoughts from the, uh, the boys from Melbourne? I had flashbacks to the olden days. You know, they, they looked a well-put-together side that was capable of just going out and scoring more. But, you know, the Rochester Rhinos were leading for a reason. So it was a good, solid performance. It's nice that the lads are starting to grow, obviously. Um, Barry kind of got a reward with a place in the 18 against Philadelphia. You mm-hmm. want to see that. This is what this franchise is about. It's about growing these guys, giving them the opportunity. And eventually they were going to keep knocking at the door and they had to get a good, solid team performance. Um, but it is kind of worrying that, you know, Rochez is not part of those performances. That's about growing people. He's not there, but I'm, I'm very proud that they were able to go out and get a good win against a really small crowd. And, mm. it, and it's a shame that those kinds of performances weren't seen by a larger guys to help them get that confidence and go out and get more um, points that are really they so desperately need right now. Yeah, and and you know those of us that you know those of our listeners who are are out that direction or are not afraid of a little bit of a drive out to Melbourne probably it's getting to the point where you're going to need to go out there because mm-hmm. it's um, it, this team at the beginning of the year was an expansion team all learning how to play together very very young and of course their results reflected that and also the weather was terrible at those those opening games i mean there was lightning delays every week so i think the crowds got conditioned to not go out there. It's like, well, they're they're terrible and the weather sucks, so why should I go out there? And now, you know, those things are changing. The weather's gotten a little bit nicer, and um, you know, the 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 team certainly played much better against Rochester. Is it a one game thing, or is Anthony Pulis um, got them playing well? And is are they starting to turn the corner? We'll have to wait and see and see you know what comes of the next few games. We certainly uh, will see this weekend when they play Charlotte Independence. Uh, although they'll be without their starting goalkeeper. Mark Ridgers flew back to Scotland to get married. So um, there'll be an opportunity for Jake uh, Fenlison to get out there and, and see what he can do. And I was not real impressed with his uh, his <laughs> earlier appearance when he came on in relief. He looked very nervous and and uh, and not at all comfortable. But he's been training this week with, with both the USL side and the MLS side to try to get him ready. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. If those of you who are thinking... Maybe we'd see Mason Stajahar. He's got a hand injury and won't be available. Uh, they're getting a goalie on loan from Jacksonville Armada to back up uh, on uh, on the weekend. So, um, and of course, the team is going to be in the the senior team is going to be in New York City. So Earl Edwards Jr. will not be available for that match. He'll be backing up Joe Bendick. Uh, if those fixtures were reversed, maybe he could fly back and actually play in that game. But um, you know, one Saturday, and then the MLS team plays Sunday, so not an opportunity to do that this time out. Um, I think that's uh, that's a pretty good amount of stuff. We're going to get to our guest. Um, we actually talked to I actually talked to Haji Berry on Tuesday night ahead of his uh, selection in the 18 and, and actual appearance in MLS. Um, you know, on Wednesday night against Philadelphia, I was surprised to see him actually get in the game, but. Uh, it was, it was good to see Adrian Heath go for the win. He's been accused in the past of playing for a draw. And when the team was ahead, his 
his thought was to get Luke Bowden in and protect that lead. And then when they tied the game, his reaction was to bring in Haji Berry and get 10 minutes of uh, unpredictability onto, onto the field and see if they could, you know, nick a goal and, and get the three points. So, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to cry and whine about Adrian Heath's, you know, bad decisions, let's celebrate his good ones. And I, I think that he made a good choice. Uh, he made good choices on, on Wednesday night, even though the result didn't end up what we wanted it to be. So, uh, we will talk to Haji Berry, or you'll you'll get to hear my interview with Haji Berry uh, right after this. Joining us this week on the Mainland Podcast, we're very pleased to have with us uh, Orlando City first round pick Haji Berry. Haji, how are you tonight? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, uh, you know so. This was the perfect week to have you on. Uh, you went out and scored two goals for Orlando City B. And, um, you know, Orlando City B looked very, very good against the Rochester Rhinos this weekend. And uh, first of all, let me just ask you what it felt like to, to get your first, uh, not only your first pro goal, but your first two. It felt great. As a soccer player, you know, as a forward especially, you want to score goals. And the past few weeks, you know, been playing great, you know, just having to find the back of the net. So getting my first one that day against Rochester really felt great. So hopefully I get many more to come. You know, the the team started out a little slowly. It's a, And it's a lot of people forget this is an expansion team, Orlando City B, uh, out there mm-hmm. in Melbourne. I guess it's it's kind of easy for us here in Orlando to to maybe uh, overlook it a little bit. But it looked like Saturday the team really got its legs underneath it and you know, and played maybe your best game of the season. What uh, what did you guys do in the, the with the week off that that made it uh, you know made the team look so much better? Um, playing really well, you know, collectively, you know, been getting very good chemistry wise. And early on the season, you know, things wasn't clicking or cylinder, and that's expected for a young team like us. So moving forward from now on, you know, everything we try to do sharp. And Coach Anthony Poole is really trying to bring our A game every game, so we're getting all the things we need to get ready for a game, so this past game, Rochester, was a really good one, and I was pleased we got the three points. Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to play for Anthony Pulis? What kind of coach is he? What, uh, you know, how does he treat his players, and, and what does he try to teach you? Uh, he's a guy who wants the best out of out of his players, so every time we step on the field, he wants us to put everything we got on the line. So, and having him as a coach really push you hard to even work for him, work for the team, and work for the club. So you've played three games, uh, I believe, three games for Orlando City, the senior club, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a first-round draft pick. What has the transition been like for you from, from college to pro? Uh, it's been it's been great, you know, just still adjusting to it, but I know I'm enjoying every day and not taking it for granted. Like you said, you know, getting the three, you know, game time with the senior team means a lot. So as soon as I, my name get called, you know, I'm trying to go out there, give everything I can. What's the biggest difference between, uh, between you know, playing at the college level, which has, has gotten better over the years, uh, U.S. college soccer has gotten better. What's the, what's the difference between that level and, and where you're playing in USL and then the difference between USL and MLS? Yeah, it's it's a little different, you know, like like you said, college and the professional level. Of course, you know, 
there's more better players on the professional level. And mostly the thing that's really, you know, changed a lot for me is the speed of play, which I'm still adjusting to it. You know, players are moving the ball fast. you got to think a step ahead of your next play. So that's something I've really been adjusting since I got to this level. You know, maybe uh, you know some of our our listeners may not know a lot about you. You were you were born in Guinea, and, and could you tell us a little bit about your background and and, and how you became, you know, uh, how you, how you got to the U.S. and how long you've been here and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I'm from Guinea Conakry, West Africa, a French-speaking country, and I came here when I was 13, turning 14, 2006. Moved to Rochester, New York, uh, with my uncle for his wife and three other kids. So, you know, I've been there for almost 10 years, went to high school there, went to JUCO College at MCC. Then I got transferred to UCF for the last past two years. That's how things went well. And I had this dream of playing soccer since I was a little kid. So this has been really, you know, pushing me to even work harder to make this dream come true. And finally, last year, I got drafted by London City, which is something I'll never forget. Well, it's kind of appropriate that you uh, scored your first two goals against Rochester then, since that's where you used to live. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of what everybody's been talking about, you know. It's like, yeah, you didn't, I didn't score all season long, and once I played my hometown, I guess it's just a little motivation playing against them. <laughs> as as someone who was born somewhere else, um, you know, Orlando City fans have seen a lot of players come over and try to adapt to life in the United States, and you've already done that. Um, like we're seeing that with Antonio Nocherino right now. He's trying to come in and, and learn our culture and our language and all of that. How long did it take you to learn English? Um, I would say, you know, two, three years. I was lucky I went to school, you know, like some of these guys, you know, come as a pro level and mo- the only time they speak English once they're at the training facility with the teammates. And I was lucky, you know, I got my uncle kids that speak English at the house. And I went to high school, too, so I was there for almost eight, nine hours a day, which really helped me a lot. Well, you know, is there anything you miss about, you know, your your, your old country, your old town? And, and uh, you know, what I know that, like, the we were talking to the Australian players on the Pride, and they were talking about certain, mm-hmm. you know, like, candies and, and foods that they miss. What, what do you miss from, you know, from your home? I just miss my mom home cooking meal, you know. I haven't seen my family almost 10 years now. So that's really something, you know, I miss every day. But, you know, it took me a couple of years to kind of just, you know, start feeling homesick, you know. But now I can't wait. I'm looking forward to going there soon. So when you got drafted out of UCF and you found out that you didn't have to move across the country to a new city, that had to be a big uh, bonus for you. Oh, it was, you know, because this UCF is like my second family now. So I've been here for the past two years going to school, and the support I get here, you know, is massive. So I couldn't be more thankful of that. Now, how did you uh, how did you get started playing soccer? I know a lot of a lot of people don't like really remember; they just have always been playing. Do you, Do you recall mm-hmm. like your first experience with a soccer ball? Um, I just remember, you know. Playing with my brothers because you know I have three brothers and most of all of them played soccer growing up. So me being the little one in the family, you know, used to just go with them, watch them play, and kind of kick the ball with them. That's how everything started. And luckily, I'm the only one who kind of kept it going and made it happen. 
<laughs> now you've got obviously you're you're sort of on two teams. You're on Orlando City and you're on Orlando City B because that's where the the team has loaned you out to. Um, is it is it a big adjustment to to try and to you know get your mind right for one and then get your mind right for the other when you're sort of going back and forth? I mean. You know, it's the same club. The expectations are the same. You know, we all want to win once we step on the field. And the coaching staff, you know, really use the same kind of ideas. So it's really not such a big adjustment. It's not like I'm moving out of town every time to go play a game for Orlando City B or Orlando City. So, you know, I get I train with the first team all week around. And if I need to play with the B team, go play with them. But So it's not really a big adjustment. At the end of the day, it's soccer. So I just go out there and just give my all and play soccer. Are you getting used to the drive over to Melbourne? Oh uh, yeah, now I'm getting used to it. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> not. It's not bad. An hour and a half or so. <laughs> so, what's the mood like on Orlando City B? Like, what was it like when you guys were having trouble scoring goals and, and getting red cards and 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 not getting results? And now, you know, with this win on. Sunday, it was such a complete dominating win. Uh, you know, if not for the, if not for the late penalty, it would have been a two-nil win and, and and a very deserved result. Has the mood changed a little bit over the last few weeks? As a you know, as a competitor, you you want to win, and if things not going your way, of course there's going to be a lot of frustration. But the main important thing, we all stay together through it, you know, and kind of help each other. So now seeing the result coming our way, really, it's gonna benefits us a lot moving forward. You've got uh, a few striker options over there uh, with Orlando City B. Um, what is it like? What's your relationship like with, with Brian Rochez and, and Michael Cox? Really good. We all push each other. You know, at the end of the day, Coach Anthony has to, you know, make the final call who he's going to put up there. But some games, you know, he put up two, so we have a little chemistry going and all that. So at the end of the day, you know, nobody's mad at each other. Nobody's you know, feeling some type of way about each other. So we all know we have one team goal, and which is to go out there and play as a team and win game. So whoever Coach Anthony put up there, just got to go do their job. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, you mentioned the word goal, and I'm going to, of course, I'm going to ask you, you know, what goals you have for your, your first year as a professional. You've you've already gotten to play a few games with the with the first team. I'm sure you'd like to to find the back of the net with the first team. Do you have a do you have a set number of games or number of goals that you have in mind for this year? Um, I mean, I haven't to be honest with you, I haven't set that, but at the end of the day I wanna score goals, you know, so whatever game I play I wanna score. That's I go into every game wanting to score if I'm playing. So, you know, whatever I get with the first team this year it's really it's gonna benefit me moving forward. I'm just taking this as a learning experience watching those guys up there, you know, and just taking every note I can. Well, Haji Berry, uh, first-round pick for Orlando City, uh, two goals in the win for Orlando City B over the weekend. Thank you so much for coming on the Mainland Podcast, and best of luck to you the rest of the season. Hey, Mike, thank you very much. Appreciate you having me. Well, a big thanks to Haji Berry and also to Orlando City Soccer Club for making Haji available to us uh, basically the night before he was going to play an MLS uh, an MLS game. So, uh, you know, he seems like a good kid. It was really nice to talk to him and, and good to get her, his perspective as someone who's not from this country on what it's like to come over here and, and get acclimated and, you know, learn the language. Of course, 
he did it when he was younger and got to go to school and, and get you know, just immersed in our culture and in our language immediately. Whereas somebody like Antonio Nocerino just comes over and he's he's got to learn the language and all that on the fly as he's doing his job. So um, it's not quite the same, but it was interesting to get his perspective, and I'm, I'm grateful that we had him on the show. Uh, Andrew, we're just about ready to put the plug, pull the plug on this uh, edition, this number 51 uh, show of uh, our 51, for 51st episode, if I could learn how to speak. It's been a long week. It's double double game week. 51st episode of the Mainland Podcast. Um, before we get to our key matchup and our, our predictions for New York City FC on Sunday, uh, which will be our second trip to the Bronx this year, um, before we get to that, I do want to mention the Stoke City friendly over in Melbourne. What are your thoughts on having it in Melbourne uh, and, you know, with the, with the stadium size and all of that and, and, do you think that this is something that Stoke City asked for, or do you think that they maybe just asked for a grass field and that this was the best solution? I, I think it was the grass field. I mean, they played at the Citrus Bowl in 2011. I'm going to say 2012. 2012. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, nobody likes the turf. When Newcastle came to play, they tried to put down real grass because they didn't want to play on turf. I think mm. this was the easiest solution. I think it was also a little bit of a reward for the people that do live out there and commute to all of the games downtown. Um, I It does concern me that they didn't want to go more, though. I think 3,000 tickets are pretty low. Um, I didn't check today, but I don't believe they've still sold out any of the sections, which for a team with 18,000 season ticket holders is... I'm imagining a little concerning from the front mm-hmm. office perspective, but I think, you, you know, it's a dangerous risk too because it's it's going to be summertime. It's July 27th. It, coast is not the best place for weather. Um, <laughs> it could get some long delays. Maybe you end up not even playing the game. Stokes got a 10-day trip. They're trying to squeeze in another person. You probably imagine they want to go west. Um, great clue for the for the team it helps strengthen that partnership that they recently announced um but i think that it was purely probably stokes decision to play out there for that grass field yeah i think that um you know i guess if if i were thinking about a grass field i mean obviously disney is a sponsor and they have a field where you know that's that's local that the team has actually played on recently um so there were options there were different options i, I certainly think that there were probably some promises made to Eastern Florida State College mm-hmm. when that, that came about. So this is probably a little bit of payback for that. In fact, I think maybe Phil Rollins even said something about that in his uh, in his press conference remarks uh, or in his press uh, release remark. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, we've had, we had a little internal debate because our own Sean Rollins lives out that way. And he, he's like, you know, well, you guys are just anti- you know, East Coast fans, you know, because you don't want us, you know, you know, it's okay for us to drive in to see Orlando City, but not okay for you guys to drive out here. But, uh, that, you know, uh, honestly, it's the Orlando, it's Orlando City. It's not Melbourne City. So you would expect the team to play here well, <laughs> whenever, whenever possible. It, it's also one of those things that if you live out the beach, you expect to have to drive to the big city for big events. Sure, you don't. Sure. If you live in the city and put up with all that that entails—bad traffic, smog, congestion, just everybody being on top of each other—you don't expect to have to go see your local team seventy minutes drive away with traffic. Yeah, and, and it is a midweek game. Yep. 
um, which you know means it's going to in the be summer a of late nights. <laughs> yeah, for anybody coming over here, it's also not on the season ticket holder holder. Um, you know, it's not on the season ticket. So uh, I think this year, last year was a twenty game home season ticket. This year, I think eighteen, and we've already had the Bahia um, friendly, which was on the season ticket, and there's seventeen home games in MLS. So um, looks like if the team hosts U.S. Open Cup, we're going to be paying for that too. I think that's it, and but I I feel like we haven't heard much whether or not they made the request to be the home team. So maybe they decided not to. We don't know what the costs of running the Citrus Bowl are right now. Oh, True. sorry, Camping World Stadium. Um, <laughs> it's probably more than campground fees, so they're probably trying to limit their exposure there. So I would expect that, you know, we may be in a away game for that one. But if it's an MLS, mm-hmm. like a, if we get far enough that it becomes an MLS game, maybe as we request, that's where we kind of get there. So we know they've got enough bodies to make running the stadium worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting because you really don't know what's the difference between the cost of traveling to like a Charleston and staying there for a couple of days rather than hosting a game. You know, what are the costs involved in that? And and also, we don't really know what the deal is with the Citrus Bowl. So we don't know. Do they get a cut of parking? Do they get a cut of concessions? Because that's really the no brainer. When I thought of the friendly with, with Stoke City is like, OK, you have it out there. Only 3000 people go and people are like, well, you had, you know, you had. 12,000 come to last year's friendlies and you had, you know, more than that season ticket holders. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, but my thought is they're all drinking beer and, and sodas and eating food and paying to park and all of that. So, you know, the team should still be getting something out of that, but we really don't know. Um, and certainly souvenir sales, you know, they get majority of that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's, We're it's gonna... a game of numbers that we just yeah. don't know. And I think I would imagine that renting the stadium, you know, if you get a low turnout and you've rented the low bowl, you know, your cost, you might end up paying, you're literally almost paying people to watch the game at that point. Yeah, and exactly. You have to be making money. So I think keeping it a potentially exclusive event, I don't mind them not including it in the season ticket package. Yeah. I don't necessarily like to be obligated to go to more games, especially <laughs> if they're further away. I think it was a clever move by them. They said, you know what? We're not replicating you, but the people that really want to come see this team mm-hmm. will come see this team. And if it's meant for tourists like Stoke fans, they're going to love a night at the beach. It's about getting the tourist dollars not just in the city and Disney area. It's about getting this statewide. Um mm-hmm. And hats off to them. They'll get they'll get the three thousand tickets. It's just going to probably be a little harder than they maybe were expecting. Yeah. So it'll be you know one of the things that I think is that if you want to win the U.S. Open Cup yet, you need to try to be a home team. But um, you know, obviously, that's something we need to probably look into. Probably talk to some of their operations people. What are you spending to? And they may not want to release it, but they can at least tell us. If they don't give us exact numbers, they can tell us, you know, about how much money they might lose on such a thing and how much money they might, you know, uh, versus how much money they would spend on a, on a road trip or something like that. So it would be interesting to to see what those differences are and, and understand better what why they make their decisions. So maybe we do we need to do a little bit better job reporting that. <laughs> um, if we can get the numbers in a non-transparent league. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, again, ballpark would be fine, though. At least we would know where they're coming from. So before we get out of here, and we need to get out of here because we've been at this a long time. Um, New York City FC, all obviously going to see a different lineup because Aguita on a yellow card accumulation suspension 
And David Mateos, barring any unforeseen appeal, is out with a red card suspension. Um, what is Adrian Heath going to do with this back line, Andrew? It, it's going to be young, it's going to be inexperienced, and it's probably not going to be very cohesive. Um, <laughs> so it's it. I am when we went up there last year, it turned into the five-three game, I believe. Um, yeah. I'm potentially expecting something like that again, but New York is a danger. New York City is a dangerous team to be facing this weekend after last week's result. They're at mm-hmm. home. They're going to have something to prove. Um, and we're going to have an inexperienced back line. We're going to really have a probably inexperienced, I don't want to say inexperienced defensive midfield pairing, um, but one that hasn't really played together in, I, I shudder to think, no Serino starting um, next to Carrasco. Um, but I can't see who else he plays. Um, yeah, unless it's Adrian Heath or Harrison. If Heath. it's Harrison Heath, that maybe I mean, it better not be Adrian. <laughs> you you never know <laughs> if he wants to show them how to do it. He's got to put on some boots. Yeah. Um, but it, it it's going to be interesting. He's going to really have to stack that midfield. Um, I expect to see a lot of gaps between Laren and Kakar. I'm not expecting so much of a wing back. Um, powering forward, I expect us to kind of settle in, long ball it out. I think we, I talked about it last week. We have to stop playing out of the back. We kind of stopped doing that. Bendik is kicking it further. Expect to see that we're going to want to. We won't be able to absorb pressure like we've been able to do with this kind of back line. That's really going to be makeshift. We we've been kind of spitballing it, you know, offline. Who's going to be there? And we, it's anybody's guess right now. Yeah, it's. Do you think he'll play Luke Bowden at, at center back, or do you think he'll call up Connor Donovan? I think he's going to go with Connor Donovan. I think he. We saw Donovan's been getting some minutes for OCB. Um, he's looking better, and you know what? He's got to get game minutes to get better. He was a. He was playing for the U20 internationals before he got hurt. He's supposed to be able to play at this kind of level. Um, he is a GA contract this is where he's supposed to be this is where he makes his career um i expect him to see him start uh, yeah it'll be interesting to see i mean uh, i i know he just went 90 minutes for the first time the other night um i kind of expected him to be maybe on the bench as a as an emergency option on wednesday but he was not and luke bowden was so um i, I i'm not sure what adrian heath will do and he may even decide that he might want to go back to five across the back or something well and i think that you saw you know you talked about shea being tired in the game on wednesday i think bowden was really there to kind of spot off shea um yeah. as much as also prevent some center back coverage if he needed it i mean I, I unfortunately just don't rate luke bowden that well as a center back he gets he gets caught out of position way too much as a center back. Well, I mean, it's that uh, that'll happen when you yeah when you transition uh, from your, <laughs> wing back to center back. Yeah, when you're a midfielder that became a left back and you're playing center back, that's that's probably too many steps removed from what you're used to. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could be Connor Donovan and, and might be. I know Seb Hines worked out today, but he wasn't wasn't in full training. He was working on the side, which is usually a sign that people are not really ready to come back yet. Um, I'm very worried because if anybody goes down in this game, it's going to get really, really ugly in the middle with guys like David Villa and, and Tommy McNamara running around and Poku. Um, I mean, they, they've got guys that can fill the net and 
I just don't think that <laughs> this is this is going to go very well. I, I, I don't want to be the voice of doom and gloom. I just don't see a team of professionals that has has been among the the conference leaders throughout the early part of the season uh, getting absolutely blasted like they did last week and sitting for a week and thinking about that and and ha- and hearing about it all week uh, in the media and from the fans and, and even you know watching the tape and anything else like that and, and hearing the coaches I just don't think it's going to be a good situation for Orlando City to walk into and it has the potential to be, you know, one of those five nil games that we saw last year uh, with all the center back problems and, and trying to fashion a, a makeshift defensive midfield without Aguita and Saren and, and all of that. So it'll be really, really interesting to see the team sheet that that um, Adrian Heath turns in, what kind of shape they come out in and, and who gets used. And, you know, it's another opportunity for, you know, guys on the bench to step up and and show that they belong here and that they want to wear the purple shirt with the, with the lion on it. And, um, you know, <laughs> let's, let's drop the ball and, and see what happens. It's going to be really interesting. And I mean, you just, you have a team that also didn't play midweek. They are mm-hmm. fully yeah. rested. They are ready to go. I think the only benefit that we potentially have is that we're playing at Yankee stadium and we do enjoy that tight, narrow field that allows us to really compress the midfield if we can do it. And and I think that might be our one saving grace is that if we can pack the midfield, really kind of protect whoever starts at center back, um, even if it is with just no Serino just running around for 90 minutes trying to scare people, um, you know, it'll be better than nothing at this point. And Kyle Lahren likes to score in New York, so... He, he can get some separation, even on that narrow field. Somehow he manages to just turn his guy, and let's be honest, New York City's defense has not been great either. Um, <laughs> outside of the 7-0, it hasn't been that well drilled. Yeah, it, uh, 7 is going to make any defense look bad. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, anyway, uh, what's your key matchup? Key matchup is whoever starts anywhere on the back line for us against Via and the McNamara. They are going, Via especially, is going to want to show that he shouldn't be on a team that gets beat 7 0. He's going to come out, he's going to be aware that these, whoever starts really isn't going to have had any minutes together. Um, Vieira is going to have watched a lot of tape, he's going to see where what our weaknesses are. And McNamara had a great start to the season. He's kind of fallen off the boil a little bit, so I expect him to have another strong game too. Um, that's my partnership. I'm not going into five and above. I'm going to say that we lose 3-1. Um, I think Laren continues his tradition of scoring in New York City or in the New York area, shall we say. Um, but I think New York's just going to be too much of a a wounded animal to not beat us at home. Yeah, not only wounded animal at home, but also uh, rested and you know just chomping at the bit to get to get at anybody. And it's you know it's just our misfortune to be the ones to follow the Red Bulls into Yankee Stadium. Uh, I agree with you, three-one prediction. I um I said as much in the the question and answer exchange with the the New York City blog, Hudson River Blue. That's exactly what I said. It was three-one to the, the home side. Uh, the key matchups, again, the same. Via and their attacking players against our back line. 
but I also am interested to see how our defensive mids perform, whoever they may be. If it's Carrasco, Nocherino, Carrasco, Nocherino, and Heath, uh, or any combination of that, I want to see how they do against the midfield and, and attack of, uh, of New York City FC. So that's, that's my key matchup, and we both have the sca- same scoreline prediction, and neither of us wants that scoreline <laughs> to happen. Uh, uh, or worse. We don't want that scoreline or worse to happen. So, um, you know, this it was always going to be tough. The third game in, in nine days is always going to be tough, especially when the other teams had a week off. Uh, but when you add the injuries and suspensions on top of that and the fact that so many of the key guys have logged so many minutes and, and Heath was unable to rest them, uh, that just is a recipe for disaster. Uh, without a doubt. And then I'm just... Reading, I kind of don't know if it's breaking. I didn't catch our story before we started, but it looks like Kakar has already left too. Um, so he probably is not going to be playing on Sunday. Uh, I I'm not aware that he's already left. I did I did hear that he was called up to Brazil before we started recording, but I had not heard anything about leaving. I'm not uh, not really sure. A- ML- uh, MLS is reporting that he's already left. Okay, so then then he's out. So. Uh, I think <laughs> if that changes your score, it's it's not going to really change my scoreline. But I I will say that it's it's going to be interesting to see how Adrian Heath comes out. Even more interesting to see how Adrian Heath comes out and and lines up these guys. Does he put Kevin Molina at the ten, which is what I would do, um, or does he go with Batista at the ten? Um, it, it's going to come down. To, I guess we're going to find out a lot about who Adrian Heath trusts yep. in this game. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm of the mind that we might not even have enough guys to fill out the 18 on this, uh, this trip. It's getting down to it because you, you, when you talk about, you know, even just our young guys that you think about, like even just having two goalkeepers on the bench at this point for an 18, um, you know, we don't have. So it, 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 this is our, this is our resolve right now. If we mm-hmm. are going to make the the red line and be on the north side of it, we have to get something from this game. I said last week we needed four points out of this this stretch of games. We're at that right now. Anything mm-hmm. else I think is gravy. Um, but this is still our, our defining moment, especially if Kakar is out and we've lost so many of our really <laughs> opening day starters. Um, yeah. If we can come off with something, I, I don't think it happens. But if we could, then we've turned it around. Otherwise, if we get completely shellacked, I, I, it's going to be a, it's going to be a while for us to get back up there. Yeah, it'll be. I agree with you. I think that it would be an an unbelievable achievement for this team to even get a point out of this game, given all of the variables that we've just talked about at, at length. Um, but if they were to somehow get a draw or better. Um, I think it would set up the team very, very well for the this, I guess what we would call the second half of the season, even though it's not quite a, a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the post-Copa uh, segment of the schedule, uh, I think it would be a big, big confidence boost for this squad. Yeah, and I think we need it. We have to, we have to be able to take something into the second half of this season. And of course, really, it isn't because then we still have the All-Star break to come. Um, there's a lot going on, and if we can take this away and get started, then we will potentially carry on. But if we get shellacked and we have three weeks, oh, it's 18 days, I think. If we have almost three weeks to think about it, um, 
it's not going to be good for us. We were already lacking some mental get up and go, I think, for getting this team any further. Well, maybe it'll just be a multiplication of what New York City's gone through for seven days. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we've we've had bad losses before, and then not necessarily come out. I feel like that length of time with, and it's not like we have those players around. Those players are going to be missing. The only mm-hmm. benefit is that some of the injuries that we've got will have further time to heal, and and maybe we can come back a little bit stronger. Hopefully, on the other side. I hope so. Well, we've been at this long enough. Um, We're going to call it a podcast. Uh, Episode 51 has now come to an end. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Big thanks to Haji Berry for being our guest this week, and uh, good luck to him the rest of the way. I guess he'll probably be on the roster uh, on Sunday. Um, uh, Of course, you can follow us on uh, on Twitter. We are at The Mainland. You can, uh, of course, visit our site, themainland.com. Maine is spelled like a lion's mane, M-A-N-E, in both of those situations. And uh, you can like us on Facebook. And please go to iTunes and, and uh, rate us, rate our podcast, and give us, uh, give us a little bit of a review. We would appreciate that. If you like what you hear, please let us know. And uh, we'll be back next week to, I guess, put this first segment of the season to bed. We'll, we'll recap the New York City FC match come what may. And... Um, We'll look ahead a little bit to Copa, and we'll talk a little bit more about the Pride and OCB as their seasons continue as well. Uh, but uh, why don't we sign this thing off? I'm Michael Citro. On behalf of our friend Andrew Harrison, uh, we're going to sign off the way we usually do, by saying, Go City! <laughs>